Okay. Mm-hmm. Hello. <laughs> I can't do an accent either. I can't do an Indian accent. Okay, I will. I will do Arabic accent. Oh my gosh! No, no, you guys. Y'all, we're gonna be right, okay. Yeah, Ready? Let's go. Hey, it's the bundle of hers. This is her Jeet. Um, guess what? My favorite day is y'all. Your birthday. I love my birthday. So today we thought we would talk about traditions around pregnancy and birth um, in our different cultures. And today in the studio, we have all of us, which I'm really excited about. I love it when we all can share our views on different topics. So these birth stories will really fit into our reproductive unit that we're starting this week. And I'm really interested to hear your birth stories. Lean, I know you have an interesting one. Do you want to start? Mine's not centered personally around my birth story, but in general around, you know, what Palestinians do for celebrating birth. And I know a lot of these traditions also intertwine with a lot of Islamic traditions as well. I guess nowadays when I was born, they didn't they didn't do the ultrasound. My parents didn't know what it was when the doctor's like, do you want to do ultrasound? She's like, no, that sounds terrifying. So she didn't do it. Mm -hmm. So I was a surprise. So they had like a list of names ready to name me the minute, you know, I was born. Yeah. Um, But afterwards, what they do is usually the dad, um, at least my dad did this. So he takes us and then he does the call of prayer in our ears. Mm -hmm. And then usually family, friends, they'll bring us baby's little gold charms in the shape of like, what do they call it? The Hamza, the uh, the hand. It's against the eye, the hand of Fatima. They bring little charms that will basically deter away the evil eye because people say, oh, babies are so cute. And that like anything that you say like that will automatically possibly bring harm to the child yeah um, especially if you don't remember god when saying it so if you don't say mashallah basically people are like oh no you know like you have to say mashallah yeah is it kind of like the bad eye it, exactly it's just okay. like the bad eye so people so this part's not really religious in the sense but the charms is not religious but they'll bring little gold charms uh-huh and they'll just pin it on the baby's suit whatever uh-huh. they buy from that day and so you know the baby's all gold up the first day of life that's cute and then usually i know this might be more islamic but in palestine they also do something they go and they buy an animal for instance like some sort of livestock whether it's cow sheep goat and they'll they'll sacrifice it and pass out the meat to family and friends as goodwill mm-hmm. for you know for celebrating also as like a blessing for celebrating this child and again, people 24-7 will come visit the house, come and see the baby and yeah. congratulate and bring little gold charms. Yeah. So like in Punjabi culture, um, being a part of a family is like a huge thing. So um, a lot of the families live together. So usually the parents, if they have sons, all the sons live in the same house. And there's like a middle courtyard where everyone hangs out. Because of that, I think pregnancy is like a huge deal, right? Moving forth the family name or like... You know, creating more people a part of our family. So basically in our culture, what happens is the woman, when she's pregnant, she will usually go to her. Um, she lives in her in-laws house, right? Um, because she generally is married before she has a kid. Because in the in-laws house, the daughter-in-law usually has to do all the work at the house. They want her to rest. So then they send her to their parents' home. You're seven months pregnant, go to your parents' home, and that's usually where the child is born. So the child is born in their maternal grandparents' home. My mom told us how we were, all three of us were born. She went back to her mom's house, and basically they have this um, midwife, and she has no formal training. Um, she's just, it's just something, an art basically that she's perfected just by practice. I think her family maybe has that whole like practice in their family. So then um, she starts giving massages to my mom like before the birth and really like pampering the mother so that she will have like a healthy child. 
So basically pampering, like giving them certain things to eat and like making sure that, you know, everything's ready for the birth. Um, and then the three of us, we were all born in the same um, room in our village home. Actually, it was amazing because I went back like two years ago and I remember going into that room and I was amazed how like my mom had the three of us in this like it's like a 10 foot by 10 foot room. It's really tiny. Um, so then the midwife helps and assists um, the birth. And then after the birth, she then gives a massage to the mom and the child because apparently um, there's this type of oil that we use. It's supposed to make us stronger and um, healthy. I think it's really interesting because I feel like a lot of care is taken around, you know, really taking care of the mother and the daughter or the son. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And so that's kind of like what happened with my birth. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, my mom did all that with a midwife who was never formally trained. Um, Margo, do you want to talk a little bit about your thoughts around this, too? Yeah, I think I had a pretty standard or traditional birth story. Like for as far as U.S. goes, I was born in a hospital here in Salt Lake. And I think... One funny part that I remember my mom telling me about my birth story is that there was a huge storm. So I was born in November and uh, my dad had just moved here for residency and it was probably in like an epic powder day and he was skiing while my mom was in labor in the hospital (laughs) and he lost one of his skis in the powder and like had to ski down on one ski and then like made it to my mom before I was born. So, Uh, but other than that, it wasn't very eventful and I mean, yeah, I was born. That was a big event. But (laughs) yeah, so it's interesting to hear. I think that a lot of um, Americans also do like home births with midwives. And so it's interesting to hear Mm -hmm. your story about it and how some people are now adopting that here in the U.S. What about you, Bushra? Did you have a similar experience to Harjeet? Like as if you could remember when you were born. (laughs) Yeah, I, I have like bits and pieces of like my birth story. I know it was like kind of an unexpected day so I went back to Africa this summer and I met one of my mom's like best friends from when they were younger she was like I was there the day you were born it was like a crazy day and she was telling me about it and she was like yeah your mom and I were neighbors and she like comes to my house knocks on my door and then she's talking to me and all of a sudden she like she feels like the pain of birth is what she calls it you know birth pain like she's going into labor And so there was literally, like, no one there. There wasn't anybody that could take her to the hospital. The hospital was a couple miles away. They had to walk to the hospital. Um, And so they were walking, and she was saying, like, my mom was, like, leaning up against her to get to the hospital. And so they're walking, and they're walking, and, and, and all this time my mom is, like, in the middle of labor. They get to the hospital, and as soon as, like, she gets on a bed, like, I was there. Like, I was born. <laughs> but as far as, like resources go like people don't normally like at least back then they didn't really go to an OB for like a normal checkup there's prenatals weren't a thing then and so I think when my mom came to the U.S. I have three younger siblings and they were all born here and her experience here was a lot different than what it was back then she all of a sudden had this doctor that was like their sole purpose is to make sure that the baby and her and the pregnancy went smoothly. It's kind of interesting. My mom chose her OB like very purposefully 
Like she wanted someone who kind of listened to her and like her traditions about pregnancy and someone who could like understand her. And so she had the same OB for all three of the younger, my younger siblings. And I remember like going to like appointments with her. I was like super, I don't know. I was always curious about medicine even back then in elementary school. And so it was kind of cool, like the interactions between everybody, the ultrasound people, the the doc, just like this weird like alien that's growing inside of my mother and just like kind of seeing like what what it's like. As far as like after you're born, I think my culture and Lane's culture are pretty similar in in the in the fact that they're both rooted in like the Islamic faith because like the adhan thing, the call to prayer in the ear, is done to babies as soon as they're born, and there's literally nonstop of people in the house like visiting the baby and the parents and bringing gifts. One thing that I thought was interesting that Harjeet said was that her mom had a midwife with no formal training um and that the family had been doing midwifery for like probably generations right well the thing is i really don't know the story about the midwife i just know she um she's still in the village to this day um but i think that it's something that was passed on generation to generation the idea of like formal training as if like going to a university to learn this trade is all you need to be considered a real midwife whereas like i'm sure the person that um tended to your um mother had this experience and has learned the the trick of the trade for lack of a better word throughout the decades that she's done it and the information that she has gained generationally i I thought it was interesting that you used no formal training i I think that's formal enough for me i think that's also interesting too that you bring that up Bushra because I remember hearing somewhere that like back in the old days I don't know what how old but that midwives were basically more considered more safe for delivering children because physicians wouldn't wash their hands and were dealing with you know all the disease infectious diseases that people had and then would go deliver a baby and then with poor outcomes right but the midwives wouldn't be dealing with the sick people so they had much better outcomes so, and again, there's no quote unquote formal training there, but it's all with the experience, right? And and yeah. um, it's interesting that today you have to have these formal training, you know, un- university training to, in the U.S. at least, to give birth. But I haven't really explored it much, but I do know of a lot of my um, older friends who've had children either have, I think it's called a doula. Or a midwife. Yeah, I don't know much about it, but I really think it's interesting that she built like a relationship with my mom before my mom had me. And then also after, Um, like I said, like she would give massages to my mom before the birth and then after the birth to my mom and me. And usually like in our culture for like a whole month, the child usually stays at home because you want to you don't want anyone to give them the booty nazar, which is the bad eye. Um, kind of similar to what Lean was saying in the beginning. Um, so I also think that's really interesting that it's kind of like the same thought process, but then when they're like 41 days old, then they can like go out. So I just looked it up really quickly on Wikipedia. Um, mm-hmm. But so doulas do not have to have any formal training. Okay, We keep using the word formal training. They do not yeah. have to have any certification processes to practice in the U.S. And they're usually for 
um, maternal support. And and I, as my understanding goes, you're allowed to bring your doula to your hospital room while oh, you're in delivery. That's um, nice. But whereas midwives are certified nurses, as far as I understand, and they um, have more of a role in helping the doctor mm-hmm. in the actual labor and delivery process. Um, but yeah, that's something we should probably look more into. And it's interesting because I think the trend now for birth is to have a lot of different options, right? If you want to have a, a birth at home, that's still allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can come to the hospital and have like, an MD do it or, you know, stay at home with a midwife. And then more hospitals are open to alternate birthing um, options like water births or mm-hmm. more not quote unquote natural births. So I think it'll be interesting as we go into our clinical rotations to see how what was once a very standardized birthing process is mm-hmm. now becoming back wide open to maybe incorporate some of these different cultural needs and practices. One other interesting thing I will say that I remember from history, I don't know where I get all these random history tidbits, but the fact that women lay on their backs as a traditional practice in the U.S. actually stemmed from King Louis the Fourteenth wanting to watch one of his mistresses give mm. birth. And so he had her lay on a table so he could have better viewing option. And that's why today women still lay, lay on their back. So there's probably no real evidence that it's actually better for birth. That's so interesting. But yeah, isn't that Actually, to bring up a really interesting point that I saw while being around hospitals, especially at least my experience in southern Utah was there was a there was a bout of Muslim students that came to the university and a lot of them were women who were having kids. And it was interesting to see the cultural clashes where I think I could be wrong, but in the U.S., like after the birth, when people come to visit the baby in the hospital, you know, they bring balloons and flowers and things like that. Right. And I think it's it's normal, at least for the U.S. culture that both men and women can both enter the room. In the Islamic culture, only women go to visit at first. Yeah. The husband can visit, of course, but men who are not related to the, to the wife or to the mother, they, they don't usually come to visit unless it's at home because, you know, after birth, you're not really, you know, you're not covered up. You're not, it's just a, it's a mess of, of things. And so the nurses would actually, when people came to visit, the nurse would be like, oh yeah, just this room. And they would let them in. And then you'd quickly see the woman scrambling to grab sheets and cover herself and be like, whoa, you know, no, no, get out. Yeah. And then the nurse would be like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. You won't let them see the baby and things like that. And it's like, we had to kind of explain to them. It's like, oh, well they can just, you have to give warning because she's not covered. She's not dressed in, in the religious, you know, the, the yeah. religious way that she needs to be dressed in front of men who are not related to her. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's a very interesting point that maybe sometimes we forget in hospitals with cultural standards and things like that. So I have a question, um, Lean. During the birth, are men allowed to be present? I think your husband can if he wants. But here's the thing. So in the Middle East, actually, I don't think men are allowed in the room unless they're doctors. Uh-huh. But by religious standards, I mean, he's your husband, right? So by religious standards, I think, but maybe because there's many women in the delivery room at the same time, they don't want men in there for just privacy issues. So I think religiously, I don't see the issue with that. Yeah. But being in a hospital setting when you have many women giving birth at once, it's like, you know, there's not privacy. There's not enough ways to keep everyone in private. What about people who are assisting with the birth? Could they be men as well? Or do they have to be like female medical providers? This topic kind of extends more into cultural preference than religious preference. Religiously, I mean, when it comes to health 
and health care, it does not matter whether your physician or healthcare provider is a female or male. Okay. And, it, you know, religiously, when it comes to your health, that's the number one thing you should be focusing on. And it's not time to be focusing on, um, it's not time to be focusing on, you know, more private and uh, modesty issues. Because mm-hmm. when it comes to health, you know, as we all know, as physicians, like modesty is one of those things we have to always approach in a different, you know, very carefully with patients. Yeah. And so that doesn't apply there. However, culturally, I have heard um, stories of like um, of men getting mad that the physician was a man or something like that. You know, I have mm-hmm. heard cultural stories like that. And I think that's when people come in and they're like, oh, but we have to explain it religiously. It's that's OK. And, you know, so I think culturally, if it's a very conservative culture, you're going to have issues religiously, though. It's it's not a big deal. Yeah. I think that's I think that's kind of the thing that I even see within my community as well. There's those like cultural traditions and then what is like the correct thing and what is not the correct thing. Right. Yeah. And and another cultural thing is I've kind of noticed is um, it doesn't happen now much nowadays. But in the past, um, when a woman's about to give birth, she just sometimes leaves and then comes back with the baby. Yeah, <laughs> I've noticed. So like, for instance, my grandma, she's just like, I'm going shopping. And then I guess she had my uncle and came back. She's like, oh, by the way, here's your son. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, it again, it's not probably universal around the Palestinian culture. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes, you know, it gets to a point where it's like, it's just another kid. We need to just go give, you know, have birth and then yeah. come back. <laughs> so. So speaking of cultural preferences and practices, I know that in the U.S. it's really common to like have to know the sex of your child and to like have gender reveal parties. How do your cultures handle gender? Is there like a preference or I know you said there's no ultrasounds really lean, but like how do how is gender viewed? I mean, they understood ultrasound could tell you the gender of your baby, but they didn't really care about it. That, you know, for me, they're like, well, it doesn't matter. Whatever God gives us is what God gives us, whether it's female Mm -hmm. or male. So they came with a list of names ready to go. They said, you know, if I was a boy, this was going to be my name. And if I think they're going to name me like Hussein. And then like if I was a girl tomorrow, but then my grandma freaked out. She's like, no, lean, lean. You would have had the same (laughs) name as Busha's last name. We That's would have been so related somehow. Cool. <laughs> if, if I was a boy, my name would be Thatcher. Thatcher? Oh. Oh, isn't that Thatcher. from like the book? Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Culturally though, I know culturally everyone's like, oh, we want a boy. We want a boy. The boy, you know, carries on the family name. But nowadays it's kind of interesting because now there's a pushback against that saying, well, girls are the ones who take care of the family. When something happens, girls are the ones who are there for their parents. When they're, you know, when their parents get sick, girls are the ones who are there. Boys are out. <laughs> You know, boys don't I don't know if it's like a nurturing versus, you know, the culture, if the culture raises girls more nurturing or not. But so there's kind of a push going back and forth. I know in Palestine, I'm always getting in arguments like, oh, I hope it's a it's a boy. But then all the women will jump back and be like, you're going to wish it's a girl when you're like 80 years old to their husbands. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually really funny because so there wasn't really ultrasound um, when we were living in Africa. So my mom, it was a surprise every single time. She didn't know what she was having. But it was kind of interesting because I have I have seven siblings and she had four boys in a row, which is like any other family would have been like ecstatic to have boys like, oh, my gosh, this is the the most amazing thing. Like our family name is definitely going to like, you know, be continue. And she was like. I, if I have another freaking boy, <laughs> I might go crazy. And then she had my older sister. And then she had four girls in a row after that. So it was just like crazy. Like she, like when she got to America and 
the advent of freaking ultrasound to let you know what's going on inside of there. She was like, thank God, like this is freaking nerve wracking. <laughs> um, actually, that reminds me of a funny story that happened on my when I was born. My aunt, she has three boys and she was just they were driving her up the wall, I guess. Yeah. And she really wants a girl. So she never had a girl. But my when my mom had me. The first day she came to my hospital room, she had already bought me bras and underwear. And she's like, I have a daughter. <laughs> and so, yeah, I still have them. <laughs> oh, man. So I really like hearing y'all stories about um, how happy your family was when you were born. Okay, I don't want to get emotional, but I think, I think the thing that's been the hardest for me is, and this is like, I don't really like talking about this, but... Um, the reason I celebrate my birthday so much is because no one was happy that I was born. <laughs> I can't talk about this. You want to talk about it off air? No, actually, I was like, I'll share it, but then I didn't want to. I just need a break. I think I will mention, let me just like, I think it's me, so I have to, kind of. I mean, like, my family all knows about it. We always talk about it. Do you want to? Yeah, I do. Okay. Tell them how great of a person you've visual. become. Yeah. I think a huge part of my birth story that I kind of was hesitant about telling is um, the reason that the mother gets nurtured so much before her pregnancy is because the thought is that she'll have a son. So usually they do all that work for her so that she'll give birth to a son and she kind of will fulfill her duty. So um, my mom, actually, I'm the youngest and I'm the third daughter in my family. So the reason I love celebrating my birthday is because I don't think um, at that time in those circumstances, I don't think my mother was allowed to be happy that she had me. So because of that, like the mood was very somber um, after I was born, because not only was I the first, not only the second, but the third time there was also a daughter. And I think that the reason why, you know, revealing gender and revealing sex really bothers me personally, it's from my experiences. My whole life, I think I was fighting my birth like I was fighting being a woman and like I remember when I was younger I would always do things so I wasn't I no one would be like oh she's a girl I was like I'm gonna prove to everyone that I can do everything that a boy can and that's literally the first thought I had and now that I think of it I was maybe three or four like those are the things I shouldn't have been thinking of at that time and I I, I did that. So I did things and I pushed all the feminine parts of me away from me. Right. And in that same breath, I want to say that as a people, we both have feminine, what's perceived as feminine society and what's perceived as masculine in society. We have both of those qualities. And that's why I think that it really bothers me because, you know, once ultrasounds started occurring in my um, stay in Punjab, a lot of daughters were killed before they were born. And so um, in a way, I'm really happy they didn't have it at my time, you know, because I don't know. I don't know what my mother would have had to do. But also, you know, I think that burden um, is something that's huge in my community when women are pregnant. Like it's such a big thing. 
Like, are we, if we don't have a son, is our first child going to be a son? And if I have a daughter, is my next child going to be a son? You know? And I think that my birth, basically my birth story has really dictated like the choices I make in my life. And, um, so that's kind of my thoughts, Margo, on like, you know, revealing a gender, revealing a sex, because I don't think anyone should have the right to tell you if you're having a boy or girl. Like, yeah, you can say their sex is female or male, but no one really, I feel like no one has a right to tell someone that you're having a boy or girl until that person or that individual can formulate their own identity. Thank you so much for sharing that, Harjeet. I think it's so important to hear these stories of the psychological impact of the like emphasis that our society puts on a on gender, right? Mm-hmm. And not even like the US culture, but like all cultures, if you have a preference for one gender or the other, there's a lot of um, impact for the mm-hmm. opposite gender that's not favored. So I think that as future physicians, we should be aware of the the rhetoric that we use surrounding gender and how how deep that it can affect somebody. Yeah. And so thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And also, like, I do want to add that, um, again, this is my story, and I don't think, like, it should be used to generalize about my culture and my community. Um, you know, there's there's ingrained things that are passed on generation to generation, and I think that's literally, like, a lot of the women, the pressure they feel to have a son is something that's been, like, you know, going on for years and years and years, Right. And even though you can at the first, like, I've heard people be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. I can't believe, like, your family thought like that. And then that really hurts my feelings, too, because I'm like, you, I, I, I want to say that you you also don't understand what my mother ha- and father had to go through as well, you know. And, um, yeah, I just wanted kind of to add that to the side. To just add on to what you just said, Harji, I think it's important to realize that we're all a product of our environment and the way that we grew up, and it's not always black and white. Um, So our experiences, what we had to endure growing up, what we had to experience kind of drives who we are and, and, and like our struggles. And so that was really strong of you to share that. And just from like my own my own past, I think that like that sentiment in my culture is also very rampant. Um, but you know, I I feel hopeful when I look at this room of people of women who are pushing the boundaries, who are trying to change the labels that are put on us, and trying to be who we are, who we want to be as as people every day, and just kind of like setting our own examples is very important. And, um, yeah, I just want to thank you guys for, for being strong, independent, badass women. Um, and I just want to thank the audience for listening to the bundle of hers. Um, make sure to subscribe and please go ahead and leave us a review. Let us know what you think, any thoughts of what we should talk about next. Um, until next time, people. Bye. That was a good one. That was good. Wow.